When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Not one, not two, but three times a week now you will get this show live in living color, the hard count. We are into season mode right now, okay? We've kind of been in season mode for a while because y'all that have tuned in for any length of time, you know that college football, it never stops. It definitely doesn't stop on this show right here on the hard count, on the On3 YouTube channel. We're kicking it up a notch here right now, Emerald style. So glad to have you here. We have a ton to jump into. We got fall camp intel. We got scrimmage intel. We got actual college football games just around the corner, which we're going to break those down too. We have some statement games teed up that I think we need to maybe preview just a little bit before they get here. But they were playing 11 on 11 at a lot of different campuses across the country. So what's the latest buzz? We got intel from Auburn, Alabama to Eugene, Oregon. I mean, it's going to be a real good time. We're glad to have you here. Some buzz out of Norman, Oklahoma as well with what went down at their scrimmage. A certain wide receiver had a really good showing. We'll break that down for you. Also, breakout players. Every single year there are breakout players in college football. Last year on this list, we had Marvin Harrison Jr., and he did, in fact, break out. And we had a couple other players as well that broke out. Jaheim Bell had a good showing last year. We got our list for this coming season, and y'all are probably already on the ball because you guys are 365 college football fans. But if you are still kind of getting acclimated for the beautiful thing that is the college football season, we're going to break down who you can expect to have a breakout season this coming year. Also, recruiting talk. Yeah, we still got recruiting to talk about. Williams Waneri, five-star plus defensive lineman out of the state of Missouri, said, you know what? I'm going to stay home. He's headed to Mizzou, and they won him over schools like Oklahoma, like Georgia. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well as some other notable commitments. Uh, surprise, surprise, Ohio State's going to be stocked at receiver yet again in the 2024 cycle. Florida landed one of the top defensive backs in the country. A lot to break down. If you're new here, we are so glad to have you here. College football is a beautiful sport that we celebrate here year-round. Like I said, we're now live Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern on this very platform, the On3 YouTube channel. We're also on podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get them. There is no more time for us to miss shows. We have got to be in this thing together, all right? We've got a lot to unpack every single day on this channel, every single live show for sure. Again, we're so glad to have you here. You love the sport. We love the sport. And we celebrate it all year round. So without further ado, man, let's jump right into it. We got fall camp intel to unpack. We got a lot of scrimmages that happened this past weekend. And today is Tuesday, August 15th, but a lot went down on Saturday. And so I want to kind of go sort of school by school here and unpack the latest. Auburn is fascinating right now. If you don't yet have a subscription to Auburn Live, which is our Auburn fan site in the On3 network. They do a phenomenal job keeping you in the loop. They have a little bit more in-depth notes here, so I want to make sure we don't share anything that's supposed to be behind a paywall. But there is a source within the Auburn program that said Holden Gurner may have had the best day at the quarterback position. Now, the good news is if you're an Auburn fan, that quarterback race is sort of fascinating right now in the sense that all three of them had a pretty good scrimmage. Robbie Ashford threw a touchdown. Holden Gurner had a touchdown. Peyton Thorne did not throw a touchdown. Take up that as you will, but Hugh Free said they all played well. He said going into that day, he kind of had his mind made up, which makes me believe he had a good feel on where that quarterback room was. And then coming out of that scrimmage, all he said was, hey, I got to watch the film. Got to take a look at what we saw in 11 on 11, and we'll go from there. So at the time of us being live right now, no starter has been named in Auburn, Alabama. The most important thing to take away if you're an Auburn fan, no turnovers from any of these quarterbacks. Robbie Ashford, Peyton Thorne, Holden Gurner, no turnovers. That is saying something now, because last year, Auburn turned the ball over almost two times a game. They were 106th in the country. So you're already starting to see now the offense, a little bit more identity. The quarterbacks maybe have a little bit more of a quarterback-friendly system they're playing with here under Philip Montgomery and Hugh Freeze. Very, very good sign that they're not turning the ball over. That is going to be the price of admission for Auburn this coming year. A lot more talent than they had last year, but they're still kind of trying to build the roster to get to a certain point to where they can compete in the SEC. They expect to compete this coming season. A big part of that will be not turning the football over. Now, the running back room, you probably already feel pretty good about that if you're an Auburn fan, but it's just more good news that 
Those guys balled. I mean, Jarquez Hunter's back with the team, said he looked solid. The real story of the day was Damari Alston, is what it sounds like. I mean, he had two touchdowns. Hugh Freeze mentioned he had three explosive runs. One of the biggest parts of this scrimmage intel for me is, is hearing how much Damari Alston has taken on a leadership role. That's, they said he's one of those guys that drives the culture. And when you have a new staff and you bring in so many new people, leadership, you can never overstate the importance to begin with, but especially in the the sort of influx nature Auburn's at right now, kind of going through a lot of transitions, personnel and staff, having somebody like Damari Alston be a bell cow for you leadership-wise, I mean, that is that is huge. The key for Auburn in 2023 to be successful is going to be all those systems meshing, the new system on offense, the new staff, the new transfers they brought in, because they're going to ask a lot of transfers to play. If you have good leadership, that's sort of the glue to make those things fit together. Now, defensively, we got good news, we got bad news. And if you've watched this show for a length of time, you know that we start with bad news. The bad news is that the defense struggled a little bit with tempo. So maybe that's a good sign for the offense. Hey, the tempo is working. We're executing well. It was also very, very hot. Uh, that just to me is not something I'd be overly concerned about. Enough of an Auburn fan. Ron Roberts is still probably getting his, his defensive strategy totally set there. I mean, they're still probably acclimating to the playbook and how he wants things done. When an offense is running tempo on you, you don't have as much time to get set and in place, obviously. Now, the good news is after the scrimmage wore on, after they sort of stalled on the tempo a little bit, maybe ran a few more plays that were you know a little bit more set, Hugh Freeze of the defense dominated. So think about it this way. If you're a player within the Auburn football team, especially on the defensive side of the ball, you go from getting your tail whipped when they're going tempo and then saying, you know what, enough of that. We still got a lot of scrimmage left. We're going to settle in. We're not just going to pack it up and, you know, cry and take our ball and go home. We're going to play the rest of the scrimmage. We're going to give it our all. And it sounds like they did that really well. So, I mean, that tells me, hey, the culture at Auburn, I mean, you don't want to read too, too much into things like this, but I think it's encouraging. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I think it's encouraging. They bowed up a little bit and had a really good second half of the scrimmage when things slowed down a little bit. Transfer linebacker from North Texas, Larry Dixon. Said he had a really good day. I believe he had a tackle for a loss. Jalen McLeod is a Jack linebacker transfer from App State, or I guess McLeod, uh, tra transfer from App State. He's one of the twitchiest players on the team. The folks at Auburn Live said he is one of the pass rushers that they've needed there for a while in Auburn, Alabama. So that's very encouraging for the good folks on the Plains there. Really quickly, make sure you're subscribed. That's all we're going to ask. We're live now three times a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Want you locked in. Thank you so much in advance for that. All right, now Oklahoma. Let's go to Norman, Oklahoma and talk what's going on there. The good folks at Sooner Scoop. Now I'm telling you, if you don't have a membership there, you're doing yourself a disservice if you're an Oklahoma fan. I'm just saying it. Andrell Anthony is a transfer wide receiver from Michigan. And you saw him pop a couple times at Michigan. You've seen him do some good things. But in this scrimmage, it sounded like he had a couple of big touchdown catches. If he can be that deep threat for them, which I believe they are planning on him being in Jeff Levy's offense, that would be absolutely enormous. Because Jeff Levy's scheme, we've talked about it a few times on this show, he wants to go tempo, he wants to run the football, and those two ingredients for an offense cause the safeties to kind of be out of whack because you're going so quickly and then you start getting annoyed. They have to make tackles at six yards, so you start creeping up. And if you can have somebody win one-on-one -on, -one on the outside and be that deep threat for you, like Andrew Anthony is showing he has been so far during fall camp, that's going to change the entire complexion of their offense. It's going to change the way that Oklahoma can play games going forward. Because remember, Marvin Mims now, no longer in Norman. They're expecting big things from Andrew Anthony. Good return so far from the scrimmage. Marcus Major, fifth-year guy playing running back for them. He had a good scrimmage. He's fascinating to me because he's kind of the, the thunder to Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuck's lightning. I mean, he's six foot, 225 pounds. Good change of pace back for them. Encouraging to see him looking good right now during fall camp. They may ask him to also play some H-back for them. I'm not talking he's going to just put his hand in the dirt or anything like that, but I'm saying maybe you line him up in certain formations. He's got good hands. So he's going to see the field somehow, some way. So you're encouraged that he's putting a strong showing on right now, especially during scrimmage, uh, during scrimmage play. Uh, Trace Ford, a transfer from the other school in Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, uh, he's an edge, and he had several sacks during the scrimmage, which is encouraging. Part of that, you're like, hey, quarterbacks running around with a non-contact jersey. 
Coaches are usually pretty generous with blowing the whistle before you get within like two, three yards of them. So take this with a bit of a grain of salt. Bottom line, he's creating pressure. And Oklahoma so badly needs pressure. They had a, a sack rate of 5% last year. It's good for 94th in the country. It's not going to cut it, especially as they get ready for the SEC, which is another conversation in itself. But they're very encouraged by what they've seen from him so far. You love that you're getting after the quarterback a little bit, even if it is just a scrimmage, right? you got to take something from scrimmages, and uh, they're happy to take a positive review for Trace Ford. Peyton Bowen is a name that we have talked about a lot on this show. He is a five-star safety from the state of Texas. Oklahoma won him at the 11th hour, and from what I've heard, he has to see the field. Like, that is period, the end, bottom line, mic drop. Peyton Bowen has to have a role this coming year, if for no other reason, because they think it's going to be impossible to keep him off the field. Can help you in so many ways. Uh, he did a lot of return specialist duties when he was in high school and was really, really good at it. They think that for him, he's going to be, if not the starting safety, a guy that rotates in at that second safety. He's kind of battling right now. Interesting note, they think he could also end up working situationally at the cheetah position for Brent Venables. And the cheetah position is typically someone who would be like a hybrid linebacker. But maybe if they get to a passing situation, you get to like third and seven plus, you got third and 13. Like it's obvious, hey, offense is probably going to throw the football. Maybe you trot Peyton Bowen out there and have another safety on the field to help defend against the pass. I think it makes a lot of sense. Bottom line, he's going to have a role in some way, shape, or form this year, along with another one of his freshman teammates, P.J. Adebare, and you have just heard rave reviews from him, or about him, rather, out of Norman, since he stepped foot on campus. I mean, he is twitched up. He's long. He is just a freak show off the edge. He's going to play somehow, some way, similar to Peyton Bowen. I don't think he starts so far as, as the intel, but he's going to have a role. So you're excited about the Young Bucks uh, making some noise early in Norman. Let's go to South Carolina now. South Carolina will eventually see Oklahoma when they get to the SEC. Not a ton to take away right now from South Carolina. You got a couple of things from that closed scrimmage. The, the, the overall sentiment with this new offense is that there's just more of a concise direction. You heard different things from South Carolina last year with Marcus Satterfield, and it wasn't that he did a bad job. It was just it felt like there were times where maybe there was a little bit too much on the plate for this offense to where if you do a lot of things good, you don't, think, you don't do one thing great. That was kind of the feeling towards the end of the year. They started to hone in on what they did great. The feeling with Dow Loggins is they are trying to just do what they did great and bottle it up. And easier said than done, but I think you got to feel excited about that approach if you're a South Carolina fan. The offense just has more of a concise direction. It's not a bunch of different things, but it's a few things they do well they're trying to work with. Spencer Rattler, it's always interesting when you hear fall camp intel because no quarterback I'll, I'll rephrase this. No one is going to say a quarterback looks poor during fall camp, especially if he's the guy going into fall camp, which Spencer Rattler so clearly is. All I can say is the people that cover South Carolina closely, which are the good people at Gamecock Central, get a membership there if you haven't. They said they have not heard a bad thing about Spencer Rattler so far. Take that as you will. I think that's good news. They had some explosive plays in the scrimmage, but... Maybe you hear that and you say, okay, a couple explosive plays, that's good. Maybe that's expected. Well, you take a closer look at who they didn't have. No Trey Knox, transfer tight end from Arkansas, and no Juice Wells, who is emphatically your alpha dog wide receiver there in Columbia. So I'm saying, okay, we took two big playmakers off the field for us of South Carolina and still created explosive plays. I think that's good news. Shane Beamer also mentioned they have significantly, for the most part, cut down on turnovers with the exception of, I think, one practice that maybe went a little bit haywire for them. Offensive line, still kind of work in progress. Not totally settled yet. You'd like to have that shored up sooner rather than later. They're really trying to hone in on what they're going to do at the tackle spot right now. So keep an eye on that. you got to protect Spencer Rattler this coming year to expect great things from him. And I think the expectation is Spencer Rattler to pick up on the great things he did at the end of last year. So South Carolina... Figuring it on the O-line. Uh, Nicholas Harbour is a guy that just always has to be talked about when you talk Gamecock football just because he is such a specimen. I mean, he was a five-star player coming out of high school, out of the D.C. area. He played some defensive end like edge in high school. He's going to play receiver for South Carolina. I don't know what kind of role he plays. It sounds like they are bringing him along, though, and having no Juice Wells in the lineup is making for more reps for Nicholas Harbour. The feeling is he will play. 
How much I think is still TBD. Uh, Shane Beamer said he mentioned him on punt, or excuse me, punt block. Maybe he plays punt too. I wouldn't mind seeing Nicholas Harbour run down as a as a gunner on the punt team. But they said they saw him on punt block and with a guy with his range and his speed, you probably feel pretty good about him coming off the edge trying to block one. So they feel good about where they're at in South Carolina. That's the intel out of there. Let's go to the Pac-12 now. Let's go all the way to Eugene, Oregon. Future Big Ten member Oregon Ducks. Uh, the offense is rolling right along. Because remember now, Kenny Dillingham was the OC last year for Bo Nix. They got reunited and it felt so good. And now Kenny Dillingham, gone to Arizona State. He's the head coach there. So enter in new OC, Willie Stein from UTSA. And that's kind of been one of the more quiet storylines throughout this off-season cycle of college football. But the people in Eugene are saying, hey, listen, they have not missed a beat. They want to keep it relatively similar to what it was last year for Bo Nix. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Bo Nix looks good. Offense looks good. They're humming right along. Treshawn Holden is a transfer wide receiver for them from Alabama. They said he looks really good so far. You're encouraged by that because no more Dante Thornton in Eugene. Uh, encouraged that he's having a, a solid fall camp so far. Mateo Uyunglele. Yes, the brother of DJ Uyunglele, who is now going to be probably the starting quarterback at Oregon State. He's getting some reps with the ones on the defensive line. Remember, highly touted kid. I believe Oregon landed him, if not on signing day. It was very, very close to signing day. And uh, they're excited about him. Having a young buck repping with the ones, you feel really good about what he's going to be for you in the future. The linebackers last year were iffy at best. I mean, they, they just weren't consistent. They said so far during fall camp, they seem much better playing in space. You're going to have to play in space in the Pac-12. Too many teams are going to try and spread you out and isolate matchups. USC is going to do it. Washington's going to do it. To be able to have some, some players that you feel much better about playing isolated is just a, a good sign so far through fall camp. Now, Triquez Bridges is a name that a lot of people nationally probably don't know about just yet, but you folks in Oregon, you do. Six foot three corner. I mean, he is custom built for what modern college football requires of the cornerback position right now. Long, lanky, is able to match up with those bigger wide receivers that they try and bully you with on the outside. They're really excited about what he's doing right now in fall camp. They feel really good about where he's at. The overall sentiment, though, within Oregon, I think is fascinating. AP poll came out the other day. Kind of scanned the list. Oregon all the way down at 15. Say 15, you might have a Heisman finalist at quarterback this coming year. Potentially was probably a Heisman candidate last year. You got a second-year head coach. Look at the way they finished. Everybody in Eugene, though, is saying, shh, hey, hey, pipe down. Pipe down. Don't, don't, don't raise your voice. Keep it at a nice below, you know, inside, inside voice. Keep it nice and quiet because they don't want anybody talking about them. They want you talking about USC and what Washington's going to be. Utah, what's up with Cam Rising? Are they going to be a three-peat kind of team? They want to just fly right under the radar. And then you can talk about them when it gets to November. So they, they feel very optimistic about where they stand right now in Eugene. But as long as we have fall camp going on, we are going to provide intel for fall camp. So we're glad to have you here. That's what's the latest out of some of these scrimmages. A lot of these schools will have one more scrimmage. You kind of start to hone in on, okay, here's what the depth looks like. Here's who we're going to travel. It's time to ball now. It is, it is time for college football to get rolling and uh, one more scrimmage for a lot of these guys trying to decide their depth and trying to win spots. Again, appreciate everybody tuned in live. I'm going to ask two things. One, if you could press the thumbs up icon under the video, get us over 100 likes. We got a nice little streak going right now. If you could keep that alive, we would appreciate that. Also, I'm going to ask you to subscribe to the channel. It's only college football here. There's a lot of other national shows, and I, I think they're phenomenal. I don't have anything bad to say about them, but it's kind of a college football plus something else. College football plus X, Y, and Z thing that actually has nothing to do with college football. That's not the way this show works. We are college football, only college football, every single day of the year. And from what I can gather, I think a lot of y'all that tune into the show are the exact same way. You just want college football. You just want to hear about your team. You just want to talk about the sport that it is. And that's what we're going to do here. So we're glad to have you tuned in. Now, again, I'll say this one more time. We are now going to not one, not two, but three times a week. Before you were Tuesday, you were Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern, live right here. That still holds, but in between those two days, we're going to Wednesday, 11 a.m. Eastern. So tomorrow, we are back on the air. You like your podcast feed? You're going to find another one in there tomorrow. So we appreciate y'all being locked in. And for uh, 
being a part of this operation. Truly, as a college football community, thank you so much. All right, now let's keep on rolling here. We got real football games to talk about now, y'all. College football season, 11 days away. We have actual games to talk about. And we understand this. Different games mean different things to different teams, if you're tracking with me right there. And I think when we look at the college football slate for 2023, we need to circle, underline, star, which, which games are going to be considered statement games for different teams. And I had one of you actually reach out to me this morning via my Instagram and said, hey, Texas at Bama, J.D., you're about to tell me that Bama is going to run all over Texas, and I don't want to hear that. Texas is a different operation this coming season. Pipe down. And I was like, one, this fires me up because I got one of y'all already knowing what the segments are going to be this coming, I guess, Tuesday. It was in a few hours from when we were about to go live, so you already checked the headline. You were like, let's roll. So thank you for that. Uh, The other part of that was, hey, we haven't done the segment yet. Let's, let's talk about this a little bit. Uh, Texas at Bama, though, no way around it. It 1 million percent is a statement game for both teams because the public thinks that Texas is kind of trending up, right? You're probably buying stock in Texas right now. The majority of you, are, from, from what I can tell, are, are buying t- stock in Texas unless you're a fan of another Big 12 team or you're a Norman, Oklahoma. Maybe you're an Alabama fan. Texas is trending up right now is the public opinion. A lot of people are on the other side of things when it comes to Alabama. Nick Saban this, Nick Saban that. They don't even have a quarterback. Nobody's coming back. They lost Will Anderson. They lost Bryce Young. So people are seeing Bama kind of going this way. Now, if Texas were to win this game, the statement is, I don't know if it's like a program-defining win for Texas, but it at the very least provides proof of concept for what we've believed about Texas for a long time. Like we've always thought Texas is super talented and score a lot of points, but it's very different to do that against a team like Oklahoma when they were kind of limping in the Red River game last year than to go do it at Tuscaloosa against the standard in college football over the last 10 to 15 years against Nick Saban. Like that was a very different message to the entire college football world. There is not going to be a tougher opponent or a more difficult environment on Texas's schedule the rest of the way. Just no way. Bryant-Denny Stadium at night? Are you kidding me? That's not to dunk on anybody else in the Pac-12, or in the Big 12, rather. I'm just saying, I think Texas, if they were to win this game, this puts a lot more respect on their name. Also, it proves that they have the chops to compete at that college football playoff tier, in my humble opinion. Now, I want to be careful for us not to define Texas from this game, But at the very least, if they were to win, it would legitimize a lot of what we said about Texas over the past couple of months, right? Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're locked in. Thank you so much. All right. Now, if Alabama were to win, it would feel a lot like a reminder, wouldn't it? It would feel like Nick Saban just kind of crossing his arms, sitting back in his chair and just saying, y'all really fell for that all offseason? You really thought that we were done? Thought I was going to pack it up? Really? The eye test matters a little bit here with Alabama. If they win by two scores, message sent. Message sent, message received. If Bama rolls out and scores 14 points, I believe the the line right now is like Bama minus seven. But if they go ahead and just do what they were supposed to do last year, according to that line in Austin, Texas, and win by 14 plus, like, okay. We got to recalibrate what people are saying about Alabama right now. Now, personally, I think if Alabama wins this game by one or by 41, I think that's a big deal. Because if Bama were to win this game, it means a couple of things. It means, one, they fixed what was wrong last year in the secondary. If you watched the first half of that game where Quinn Ewers was playing darts with the Alabama defense, it was put the ball up to your big tight end, Jatavian Sanders, put the ball up to Xavier Worthy. And if they don't come down with it, you probably got somebody tugging on a jersey and we get some laundry on the field. That's a free first down. Like they, they kind of panicked when the ball was in the air last year at Alabama. If they're going to be able to beat Texas this coming season, that's been fixed is the first part. Also, it means that the offensive strategy for Alabama, you know, everybody's kind of saying the sky is falling with no quarterback and you know, what's Tommy Reese going to do? Is that really who you want to be your OC? It means that they were able to outscore Texas, obviously by winning the game. Or it means, I guess in addition to, it would mean that Alabama controlled the game and found a way to circumnavigate keeping Ewers off the field and Steve Sarkeesian from doing what he does with the playbook. Because y'all that watch the show, you know we think Steve Sarkeesian is a bona fide wizard when it comes to offensive football. So big statement game for both teams. There is no way around it. Now, let's fast forward the tape a little bit here. 
to week four of the college football season. We got Florida State going to Clemson, South Carolina to play the Clemson Tigers. And who is the class of the ACC is probably what we're going to figure out in this game as it stands right now in August, what we're predicting will kind of be the way this whole thing shakes out. For Florida State, man, there is there's no way around this. If you want to be the top dog, if you want to be that team that hoists the ACC trophy and competes for a college football playoff and does all the things that we're talking about you doing right now, you got to beat the top dog. Seven of the last eight years, Clemson has been the top dog, top tiger, more or less, within the ACC. There is no glaring reason why Florida State can't do this, and I think that's what adds pressure. It'd be one thing if Florida State rolls out there and it's like, hey, man, they're kind of building to this. They're still trying to figure it out. You know, hey, it's, it's Mike Norvell's first year. Give us a break. Like, that's, that's not the situation you're in right now. Experienced head coach. I mean, most returning production in college football, not even counting the transfers that you brought in. This is supposed to be the year for Florida State. And let's kind of add a subplot here. Let's say Florida State, and Florida State fans, you're not going to like this, so cover your ears. Let's say Florida State somehow, someway, loses to LSU in the opener. This game is Florida State's season. Everything you want to do with the college football playoff and all that, like this is that game that would define that. Now, you could drop this game and still win the ACC if you lost to LSU, but this is not the way that you want your season to go. You're not living in that world. So extremely big statement game for Florida State to really just kind of prove that they are who we've been talking about they are. To quote the, the great late Dennis Green, they are who we thought they were. We're going to find out with Florida State in this game, in my humble opinion. Big statement game for the Knowles. Now, Clemson, this one has a, an interesting context to it. Think about what Florida State has done to build their roster. And I credit Mike Norvell with this wholeheartedly. I have no issue with this. But think about how they've done it. A lot of work through the portal, right? People say things about Florida State and where they stand on an NIL perspective. Then you look at Clemson. And I'm not here to make any sort of statement on NIL for Clemson because, quite frankly, I don't know exactly where they stand. I have a hard time believing they're not involved in that. But they have sort of taken the other approach or rather publicly not steered as much towards the NIL lane as Florida State has. But more specifically, they have not really used the portal. They're taking a guy here, a guy there, a guy they're familiar with. But they're really not a portal team, whereas Florida State kind of rebuilt that thing through the portal. For Clemson, I think it's your way, the way that you have stuck to, for better or for worse, versus their way. And you would like to prove, you would like to make the statement in this game that your way worked, that you made it happen, that you stuck to your guns, you stuck to your process, if you're Dabo Sweeney, and you got it done. And I think you would like to make sure everybody knows, hey, there may be a day where Clemson's not atop the ACC. There may be a day where y'all knock little old Clemson off the top of the mountain, uh, but not yet. Not yet. Now, again, I think we get this game in the ACC title. I've already made my prediction on that. Y'all that have tuned in for the length of time, you know that. But I'm just saying, let's, uh, let's keep an eye on this one because there's some statements to be made uh, with both those teams. Next statement game I want to talk about here. We go to week eight. This, this probably will be the game of the year in the Big Ten to that point in the season. I know we got Ohio State-Michigan at the end of the year, but we got Penn State going to Columbus, Ohio to play the Buckeyes. This game has no shortage of storylines. But think about the way that we have perceived Penn State the entirety of this offseason. Hey, they're really deep on defense. James Franklin says they have a chance to be better on the offensive line. Hey, they got Abdul Carter, super sophomore. Nick Singleton, Catron Allen. Like, you know all the buzzword players we're talking about. Leading all the way up to Drew Aller, five-star quarterback, going to change the game for Penn State. That's how we've talked about it. We've talked about them having a better chance to compete nationally for a Big Ten title, for the college football playoff berth, based on what they have in-house there now. And so for Penn State, if they were to win this game, the feeling would be like, hey, we have arrived. We have arrived. The last time they won the Big Ten, I don't think it's any coincidence that it coincides with their last win against Ohio State, and that was in 2016. You win this game, which is this, this is the first real test for Penn State now. No, make no mistake about it. The question is, can you beat Ohio State and Michigan? And this is the first test they get. This would legitimize all of their college football playoff buzz they've had the entirety of this offseason. There's no asterisk now this time for Penn State. When they go to Ohio State, there's no, oh, but it was a wideout game. Oh, but our quarterback was, no, no, no. You got the quarterback. It's on the road. You win this game. 
you send a statement loud and clear like, hey, we are for real. You got to deal with Penn State in the Big Ten race. On the other side of things, though, for Ohio State, if you were to win this game, it removes the question of, well, where do they stand in the Big Ten? Because there's so much about Ryan Day losing to Michigan twice and, you know, they have a new quarterback and all that. Like, if you win this game, there's no more like, oh, Penn State's gaining on them. And I don't know what the final score of this game is going to be. Obviously, if I did, I'd put some money down in Vegas. But if they were to win this kind of game, I think it, it's just validation for Ryan Day that, okay, Ohio State is that top two level in the Big Ten. We, we once again realized that in 2023. Also would have to be validation for whoever he picks to be his starting quarterback. Because at the time of us being live, he has yet to name a starter. I think he's going to do that here pretty soon. But whether it's Devin Brown or Kyle McCord, this is the kind of game that you need good quarterback play in. Just period the end. You need good quarterback play to beat Penn State this coming season. Because I think Drew Aller is going to put the pressure on Ohio State. If nothing else, that run game will put pressure on Ohio State. You will have to score points. You will have to have a capable quarterback show up in this game. So if you win it, you got to feel pretty good about whoever you rode with if you're Ryan Day. Now, we're going to stay in that same week. Utah goes to USC. I really hope this is at a reasonable hour. I hope this isn't one that a lot of people miss because it's like a 10 Eastern kick in the Coliseum. Like, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. There's a lot made about LA and about what they don't have on the college football side of things from a passion standpoint. I can say this from going to several games growing up in the Southern California area. When they have a big-time matchup and there is the, the buy-in that is credible because of how the team is playing, and that's the way that USC is playing right now. I mean, they're, they're a national story right now with Caleb Williams. The Coliseum is a special place to be, man. It's a special venue. That place gets rocking. The student body is bought in. That's how I expect it to be for this game. For USC, for Utah, though, if they were to win this game, it'd be like the, it'd be the silencer. It would be the absolute silencer on all the noise, all the talking about USC, about other teams, and Utah and Cam Rising. It would just be silence. No more of that. We did it twice last year. We did it twice. We beat USC at our place. Then we ran through them in the Pac-12 title game. And people are saying, oh, but that was at home the first time. Oh, but there was no Caleb Williams, no no 100% Caleb Williams really in the Pac-12 title game. You go and do it in the Coliseum, in that environment I just described, against you hope and pray, fingers crossed, I think for both fan bases, you get a healthy Caleb Williams. No more questions, Your Honor. No more questions. We're, we're done here. Yes, we're still that team if we're Utah. That's what we're saying coming out of this game. Should you handle business against USC and Los Angeles? Now, but for USC... If you win this game, the statement is, this isn't the USC that y'all talked about all spring and summer. All spring and summer, all we heard, yeah, Caleb Williams, super special, but the defense, so soft. Missed so many tackles. All the two-lane jokes. All the Lincoln-Riley can't win the big one. All that, like, I don't know if you totally answered the Lincoln-Riley can't win the big one questions. I think you probably have your sights set on that this coming season. But if you take care of business in this game, shows that, okay, we can play that style. Because Utah, they're going to play bully ball. We already know it. They're going to try and do what they did to y'all last year in the Pac-12 title game, which was just play battering ram kind of football between the tackles and make you say uncle. And if USC holds up against that, that raises a lot of eyebrows across the country. Because you know who else would see that? Other teams that they would probably see in the college football playoff. Teams like a Michigan. Teams like a Georgia. Heck, teams like an Alabama. You, you put this on tape. Your tape is your resume. You feel a lot better about where your resume stands for USC when it comes to the college football playoff selection game. All right? They would love to make the statement that, oh, yeah, we got that part figured out too. Yeah, we got Bear Alexander. Yeah, Corey Foreman, he came around. Yeah, Jack Sullivan, he's a guy for us. Anthony Lucas, yeah, he, he, he showed up on the defensive line. We, we can hold serve now on, on the trenches side of things. Don't worry about us. We can play that game too. Paired with Caleb Williams. Good things are happening in L.A. if that happens. So that's kind of where they stand right now. That's definitely a statement game. There's no way around it. Now, Georgia at Tennessee is the last statement game I want to talk about here. This could be for the SEC East. Second to last game of year. You're in Neyland Stadium. For Georgia, though, this really is going to be the first chance for us to see them really flex up. I mean, you got the Ole Miss game. You got South Carolina early in the year. But I think this is the one that everybody has circled to see. What does Georgia have under the hood? Because it was kind of that game last year in Athens where everybody said, oh, okay. 
oh, okay, that's, that's the Georgia team that we've kind of been looking for all year. Saw them in Atlanta against Oregon, but to do it against an SEC opponent, against a million-dollar offense that they're running over there, scoring however many points a game, like, looks like a million bucks. Okay, that's the Georgia team we're going to see now. But this could be the game where they get to do that. Because I think at this point in the year, you're going to have to score points to keep up with Tennessee. And I'm going to go ahead and assume it's Carson Beck starting for Georgia. This is going to be a really good litmus test for us on where the dogs stand. Going to be a good chance for them to actually rev the engine, open it up, and uh, see how they hold up on the defensive and on the offensive side of things, quite frankly. Now for Tennessee, let's just put ourselves in this world. How differently do we talk about Tennessee if they beat Georgia? Think about how differently we talked about them last year after they beat Alabama. The brand power, it's already strong in Knoxville. It elevated quite a bit. You beat Georgia. You beat the back-to-back national champs. What are we saying about Tennessee? I think we definitely say, oh, they are for real in Knoxville. It wasn't just a nice one-year story. It wasn't just Hendon Hooker was there and Jalen Hyatt was there. Then they rode off into the sunset and fell back to mediocrity in Josh Heupel's third year in Knoxville. No, no, no. You're saying, whoa. Tennessee going forward is going to be a problem on the field each and every weekend. And you probably already feel that way a little bit across the college football public, but to, to slay the giant, take down the big dog, message loud and clear to the rest of the country. And, I, and this is kind of a, a part I want to slide in here. Think about what that does for them on the recruiting trail. At, at, at that point, think about how you can package that moment up Forget the number of recruits that are probably at that game. Think about the recruits that are watching on television. You beat Georgia, go and push that out to the masses and say, come play at Tennessee. Could be one of those moments that really does a lot for them on the recruiting trail should they win that game. So a lot of statement games, enormous impact all over the country, week in and week out. I can't wait for college football to be here. We're talking about actual games that are really not that far away. We're almost here. Hang on. We're almost there. We're almost there. Appreciate everybody tuned in live. Y'all already know what I'm going to say. If you could like the video, we would appreciate that. If you could subscribe to the channel, we would also appreciate that. Now, I want to take a quick moment here to talk about something. It is very important for y'all to be locked in, following me on Instagram and on Twitter, at JD Pakel. Not just because I appreciate it, it makes me feel good and all that. that. That's one part of it. The interaction side of things that we can do on Twitter, it is... Very common for me to go to my Twitter sphere. I'm calling it Twitter. I'm not calling it X, all right? So if if you call it X, I appreciate y'all, but we're calling it Twitter for right now until something changes. Um, What was I saying? Yes, okay, so I go to my Twitter pretty frequently, and I will pose a question to y'all, whether it's what are the headlines in college football? What are you thinking on this topic? You know, thoughts on this, that, the other. We want to involve y'all into this show as much as possible. Twitter's a great way for us to do that. Now, Instagram, the other side of things, we put a lot of content on there that we don't actually put on this YouTube channel, whether it be a snippet from the show or different gambling content we're going to do during the season. Y'all that have been following me now for a little bit, you know, last year during the season, we did a Friday question and answer thing. Just, I mean, Fridays are the days, you know, the quiet before the storm, and we're just having a chat as a community about what's going to happen tomorrow predictions thoughts so those are two mediums that i would ask you to follow again at jd Pakel on twitter or x and on instagram as well so appreciate y'all that now shout out spencer who actually hit me up on instagram spencer said he watches or listens rather from brunswick georgia big dog fan spencer if you're listening man very to have you part of this program you're an integral part so we thank you for tuning in you are the man thank you so much So when it comes to the college football season, there's always a couple of players that break out. A couple of players that kind of catch your eye, say, oh, who's that guy? I didn't hear about him before the season started. These are guys that you've probably heard of for the most part. Maybe they played a minor role this past season. But who are some individuals that we think are going to break out this coming season in a national way? I got a couple of of them from you here uh, Really, we're going all over the country here. We're going all over these Power 5 conferences. Let's start with Clemson wide receiver Adam Randall. Dude is built like DK Metcalf. And DK Metcalf is probably like the most hyperbolic example we could use for him. But he's still six foot two, 225. Y'all, 225 at that height, being a receiver, you don't typically get that. Couple that with the fact that dude is real deal fast. If you have a big body and you've got that big frame, it's like, oh, he's a jump ball guy. Cool, use him in the red zone. He's been clocked at 
And I think in this new offense for Garrett Riley, he is going to thrive. Garrett Riley is going to scheme guys open, but even more so Adam Randall has the ability to really just leave guys in the dust when that safety bites on the run game. I think it's important to mention, you saw him a little bit last year, but he had a knee injury in the spring. Like he was not full go. He was not the Adam Randall we're going to get this coming season in Clemson, South Carolina last season. So expect him to break out in a very big way. Expect him to compliment Antonio Williams, the slot receiver there, in a very big way. Promise you, Cade Klubnick will have no issues throwing that dude the rock. Corey Foreman is an edge defender at USC. He's six foot four. I mean, 235 is what he's listed as the roster. He looks bigger than that to me. He was the number one player in the industry coming out of high school in the 2021 cycle out of Corona, California. And he's been one of those guys that you've sort of, you've seen him pop at times. You've seen him make some timely plays here or there. But I think he's set for a breakout season because the edge defender position, so much of your success is predicated on what else you have around you on the defensive line. And I think Anthony Lucas is going to help him a lot. I think having Bear Alexander in the middle there is going to help a lot because that's just going to command more attention and be able to free him up a little bit more and be isolated on the edge there and just kind of work the pass rush a little bit more seamlessly. They said he's had a good fall camp. They said he's been more locked in from a schematic standpoint. I really like where Corey Foreman stands going into this year. I expect him to pop in a big way with the way they've retooled that that defensive line and, uh, and got him some more help. So Corey Foreman, without a doubt, a name to know. I think he makes good on all of his billing as a recruit in 2023. Colston Loveland is a tight end from Michigan. He is six foot five, 240 pounds. Dude can run. He is a matchup nightmare. We saw him in person at the Ohio State-Michigan game. And the expectation around Michigan this coming season is really for J.J. McCarthy to take that next step. And everyone likes to say, J.J.'s got to be better. He's got to push the ball downfield. And I think all that's like true for Michigan to win a national title. I'm not saying that's incorrect. But I think it's incomplete because if you expect your quarterback to do more, well, who's he throwing to? He's got to throw the rock to somebody. And you have to have other weapons around him do more as well. So Colston Loveland, I think, will be a big part of Michigan's success in the pass game this coming season. He's only a sophomore. I, I don't know how you match up with him. Because he's not, I mean, you hear 6'5", 240, you're like, oh, wow, it's, that's a big body. Yeah, but he can really move. Like, if you want to put him with a linebacker, you're getting burned 11 times out of 10. There's not a lot of linebackers that can run with Colston Loveland, and there's not many that he can't separate from within that position group. So it's going to ask a lot of defenses. Expect him to have a big impact this coming year. He stepped up at the end of last year when they had some injuries in that tight end room. I think he's going to make a lot of noise this coming season. I really do. Now, Billy Bowman is a safety from Oklahoma. He was all Big 12 honorable mention last year, and I keep saying this. like I think he is set for an all Big 12 season at the very least from a like first-team standpoint. I think he's going to be a name that you know nationally. Super rangy, great instincts. Had, I think, three interceptions last year, 60-plus tackles, not afraid to mix it up. He was dinged up at times, but like, dude is just a football player. And football players make plays. And that's what Billy Bowman is. I mean, they're going to ask a lot more of him, I think, in this defense from a leadership standpoint, which he already is a leader for them. As the defense sort of settles around him, I think you're going to see him flourish. Because last year, there were so many missed assignments and guys not getting lined up right. And I don't know if Billy Bowman was necessarily like a guy that you were looking at and blaming for that. But I think when you look at what they will be defensively, it's going to be much more settled. Everybody has a better idea for the scheme. You upgraded personnel in that front seven. Billy Bowman is going to get a chance to just go play ball. And I'm excited to watch that. I think he's going to be a first-team All-Big 12 guy. I 1 million percent do. Justice Haynes is a true freshman running back from Alabama. And, well, he's not from Alabama. He's actually from the state of Georgia. And he ended up going to Alabama, which shocked a lot of people. He wasn't the Bulldog. He had three touchdowns in the A-Day for them, which is the spring game in Alabama. He was the number two running back in the 2023 cycle, according to the industry rankings for us here at On3. He's going to be a part of the rotation as a true freshman, which is saying something. Anytime you get on the field as a true freshman at a place like Alabama, you can play some ball now. And I mentioned the touchdowns he had in the A-Day, and that was impressive. Like, to touch the paint as a true freshman in a spring game when you've been on campus for 15 practices, that means something. I was honestly more impressed by the way that he ran the football and the patience that he showed. Because when you're a a young running back 
and you're coming from the high school level and you have a high billing as a recruit, typically a lot of those guys have gotten by on just ability. Like to be real, you're probably one of the most talented, one of the most athletic, fastest guys on the field. So that means if I get around the corner, if I bounce it, nobody's touching me. I'm scoring. And Justice Haynes, I didn't see that habit from him in the A-Day. I saw him take the snap, or take the handoff rather at the snap, read the keys, read his, his offensive line, and make a definitive decision, get north and south. But he didn't look out of control. So once the game slows down a little bit more for him as he gets more reps, I think he's going to be a guy that contributes in a very big way for Alabama this coming season. Believe you me. So love his patience as he progresses, Alabama progresses. I think he's going to be a guy that you see take on progressively more of that workload potentially. Expect a healthy dose of Justice Haynes, especially when we get to like November kind of territory. Dude runs the football like a grown man. One more for you. Dante Thornton, wide receiver from Tennessee. Y'all that have watched this show for any length of time, you know I love me some Dante Thornton, man. Transfer receiver from Oregon. He's six foot five, 214 pounds. On a previous video, I think I shortchanged his height as 6'3". To be six foot five, and then to be able to run, he was also clocked at a 4-4, similar to Adam Randall. Like, th that is just such a mismatch for any defensive back. You don't typically get that blend of size and speed, and that is exactly what Tennessee is built on offensively, to create matchups, put your DB on an island versus our wide receiver, good luck. Happy Hunger Games. And that's what it's going to be for Dante Thornton this year. There's a lot of production on the table for him as well. With Jalen Hyatt gone, Cedric Tillman, I know he was dinged up last year, but he's also no longer there. Expect Dante Thornton to eat and eat greedy in Knoxville this coming season. So a lot of breakout players. This is not an exhaustive list. Could have also put Jordan Botello on this list. You know, I've talked about him a lot on this show. Adam Randall from Clemson, Corey Foreman from USC, Colston Loveland, tight end from Michigan, Billy Bowman, the safety at Oklahoma, all Big 12 first team incoming. Uh, Justice Haynes, the running back from Alabama, true freshman, expect him to really build as the season goes on. And then Dante Thornton, the wide receiver from Tennessee, we just talked about big play waiting to happen for them this coming season. A lot of playmakers, man. A lot of guys we got to talk about. And, and I mean, we're even, there's more we could have talked about there, to be honest with you. Maybe we go back and revisit that if y'all want us to, as we get further and further into the, uh, the college football calendar. We almost got games to play here. So we kind of got a color shot. But again, thank you for all you that tuned in live. Here's one thing we do now. We got one more segment, then we're going to get to the end of the show. If you're new here, welcome. A lot of what we do here is predicated on, like I said, being the people's college football show. We can't be the people's college football show if y'all don't contribute to the show. So big bonus of being tuned in live, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern, is that we go to the live chat and get your questions, your concerns, your takes, whatever it is. We just kind of unpack it as a community. So Get those in right now. We'll talk about those in just a second. Before we do that, though, we got to talk some recruiting. Because recruiting, much like college football, is year-round with guys committing, decommitting, top fives, top fours. I would encourage you to follow on three recruits on Twitter and Hayes Fawcett. They're going to keep you in the know for all things recruiting. But yesterday, five-star-plus defensive lineman Williams Waneri committed to the in-state school Missouri. Again, five-star plus. There were a lot of schools that wanted Williams Winery. And Missouri has one big recruits like this before. I mean, the, the first guy that comes to mind is Doria Green Beckham. But they won him over schools like Georgia. This is Williams Winery. They won him, they won him over uh, schools like Georgia, over schools like Oklahoma. This was an enormous get for Eli Drinkwitz and company. I mean, that's probably the most obvious part of this. But this whole recruitment, I think, really does signal what college football is going to be going forward. Because everybody that is upset about not getting williams Winery is saying, well, they just bought him. What well, was NIL? NIL was the reason they got him, and that's, that's not fair. Well, it's like, it's unfair? Really? Because you can do that now. NIL is definitely a real thing now in college football. So what I'm trying to say is, if Missouri got williams Winery because of NIL, more power to him. Right now, yelling about NIL and a kid's recruitment and being upset with that is in the same category as yelling about a kid liking a coaching staff better or liking a campus better. Like It is 1,000% a part of the ingredients in a kid making a decision right now. Or it's 1,000% allowed to be, rather. 
This was a very big, big, big deal for them to keep him home. And this, I think, to the to the larger point, signals what the new college football landscape is going to be when it comes to recruiting. I think we're going to see a lot more parity among these commitments. You're already seeing it. Guys like Dylan Stewart committing to South Carolina, Nicholas Harbor last year going to South Carolina, Williams Winery picking Missouri. Like these kids now are going to, I think, way more options, and there's more schools that can get in the mix for them right now. I'm curious to see how this impacts parity going forward when it comes to college football. Because to, to get these kids is great, but now to stack classes and to develop them, that still falls back on the coaches that coach football. So what does parity look like going forward in college football itself? I don't know, but I do know for a fact in terms of the recruiting trail, the battles we're going to see, there's going to be more parity in terms of the schools in the mix. And this example of Missouri landing williams Winery is no exception to the modern college football. Four-star corner Wardell Mack committed to Florida. And he is the number 19 player in the country, according to us here at On3. Florida right now, at the time of us being live, they have a top three class in 2024. I'm just letting that kind of sink in there. The Florida Gators that won six games last year that Vegas says is going to be right around five and a half wins this year. Top three class. A lot of people that are down on Billy Napier seem to always have something to say about his recruiting and and something about his development. And I'm like, there's a lot of talk about development when he had guys that were three stars at Louisiana that are now playing on SEC rosters or in the NFL. So don't tell me about development. What I think we're seeing right now, though, is guys that are playing in the secondary wanting to play for Corey Raymond, who was a secondary coach for Florida. That's the first part. He's a great recruiter. You're seeing dividends there. This is the fourth defensive back that Florida has landed in the 2024 cycle. The other part of this is the Florida brand, is the, the Florida brand, excuse me. The other part of this is the Florida brand has some real juice on the recruiting trail. Florida fans, you might not like this comp, but I think it fits. Kind of reminds me of the situation at Auburn. How quickly did Auburn kind of get things turned around on the recruiting trail in the direction they're headed? Same deal with Florida. Kids want to come play for Florida. Kids have memories in their mind of Tim Tebow and what that school did under Urban Meyer and winning national championships. Like That brand is still very much so visible in their mind's eye. And so now, the beautiful part for Florida fans, you have an individual as your head coach in Billy Napier who is going to take that horsepower out of the garage and go on the recruiting trail with it and go and get some of the top guys in the country and go and get guys from Louisiana like Wardell Mack. So this, this is a very, very big deal that we are seeing them build this kind of recruiting class, especially with what's being said about them with what they're going to do on the football field. The, the main thing for me with Florida is it takes what it takes, man. It takes what it takes. That's a book that I, that I read. Um, it's, it's a phenomenal read. I would, I would mention you go, go read it. But the, the main sentiment behind that book is like, there really isn't that many options if you have a certain goal in mind talks about it like the illusion of choice you don't have choices if you want to go win the sec when it comes to the kind of player you recruit you don't have choices to go and get a two-star or three-star kid oh, maybe i don't want to hit the trail today maybe we shouldn't you know compete for this kid no, no no if you want to win the sec it takes what it takes you got to recruit top talent and that's what florida's doing right now so i commend billy napier in florida and big time get going and getting wardell mack I'm telling you, they got some juice now. Good to see them putting the brand to use. Uh, last storyline here, Ohio State lands another elite wide receiver in the 2024 class. They now have five-star plus wide receiver Jeremiah Smith, five-star receiver Mylon Graham. They just landed a four-star wide receiver, Jeremiah McClellan. He is five foot 11, 190 pounds, prototypical slot guy. You turn on his highlight tape, it's like an AM one hoop mixtape on the football field. He's just ridiculous. He is stupid after the catch in the best sense possible. You see him just eating up angles. You see him breaking ankles. Like he just does whatever he wants on the football field whenever he gets the rock. And this is a big time get for Ohio State. He will compete early or there's an opportunity for him to compete early for time in the slot when it comes to his time to get on campus in Columbus. And if you're Brian Hartline, man, if I'm recruiting you as a wide receiver and I'm Brian Hartline and I offer you a scholarship, I need you to come up with a very valid case to not come play at Ohio State. 
you got a factory now if you're a receiver at Ohio State. You've seen it. Marvin Harrison Jr. is probably going to be a top three, top five pick in the upcoming NFL draft. You've seen Chris Olave in the league. You've seen Garrett Wilson in the league. You just go down the list here and top guys that go to Ohio State and go do great things. Like, I'm just saying, for, for Ohio State, they have become very much so the school when it comes to recruiting wide receivers. And right now, adding Jeremiah McClellan uh, is no different. So, another big time get for Ohio State. They add another receiver. What else is new? But make sure you're locked in right here because we're going to keep you in the know for all things recruiting as well. We talk college football, we talk recruiting, we talk all of it on a year-round basis. Those things don't stop. They don't really have a bye week. They don't have a break. So we don't either. And we appreciate you uh, locking in accordingly. I'm going to ask this really quick. If you could all press that thumbs up button under the video, be over 100 likes, keep the streak alive, and we thank you in advance for that. So thank you so much. Now, I told you before, it, it, we're going to go to the live chat right now and hear y'all's questions, thoughts, concerns. Just a great place for us to kind of meet together as a college football community and unpack it a little bit. So to do that effectively, we bring on now best producer in the game, heavy lifter extraordinaire, pride of Owensboro, Kentucky, Nick Brake. Nick, how we doing, baby? How we feeling? Man, you said you don't have a break. You know, we don't get a break. All gas, no breaks, baby. Who's your producer? The man, Nick Brake. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah. Oh, now you get it. Golly, that was that was quick. That was quick. That was quick. I liked that, man. I'm Golly. glad you got it. It would have been really awkward if you didn't get that. That was joke. good. I was like, um, I was like, yeah. what are you talking about? <laughs> Only break we we'll take um, around here is a Nick break. I love it. JD, uh, first question coming from Heather Higginbottom. Hashtag Ask JD. There seems to be a bunch of Vol haters in the comments. Uh, what do you think about Tennessee being ranked 12 in the AP? It's usually the other way around, Heather. It's usually all the Tennessee fans just going to war with everyone else. But uh, today has been a little bit different in the chat. There we go. There we go. I love it. Man, not to, not to disregard this question, what I would say is if you are worried about the early preseason rankings you're getting, don't. Don't worry. The preseason polls are great. I'm here to talk about them a little bit. I'm here to reference them rather. We're not really going to unpack them too much. They're fine. It means we're close to college football. But again, it doesn't have anything to do with what's actually going to happen on the field. So the, the reality for Tennessee is if they go out and win all their football games, everything you want to happen is going to happen. Don't worry about the AP poll. Don't worry about where you're ranked right now. I mean, think about where they were ranked last year. I don't even remember where Tennessee was, but I do know at the very first college football playoff ranking, they were number one. Tennessee and the SEC, you control your own destiny. Don't worry about it. Rankings, schmankings, we're not talking or worried about that if we're a Tennessee fan. So I, I appreciate the concern, though. I do. I don't want to disregard mm -hmm. that question, but I just want to make sure that you get to inhale, exhale, relax. We're going to play some ball. We're not going to worry about it. We'll talk about this again when it comes to November. But a great question. Very yep. good question. Uh, this is also a great question. It's from Turner Fleming. Hashtag AskJD, does Alabama fall apart if the quarterback room becomes a problem and they become a one-dimensional offense. J.D., you've said very things that would imply yeah. that you don't think that's the case. Yeah, I think, I think it's a very valid concern. I think that the main concern for me if, if the quarterback room becomes a problem, problem makes me think they're turning the football over. So if they turn the football over, then you do have an issue at Alabama. Then you are kind of trying to play left-handed and – probably spotting team scores. So as long as they're not having multiple turnovers, then we have real issues. But I think what you said there is crucial. They cannot become a one-dimensional football team. Now you can have a fastball and lean on your fastball, but they need to be able to also have a pass game to complement it. Now they're not going to be a team that drops back and throws it 40 times a game this year, or even 30 times a game this year. I, I don't expect that from Alabama. I think they will run the football. I think they will have a one-track mind with running the football. But off of that, they're going to have a lot of deep shots that they want to hit on. So I guess to answer your question, if it becomes a problem, it means turnovers and it means missing those opportunities on the deep shots. I don't think Nick Saban will ride with that long term. I think if you see that happen, you could expect some movement at the quarterback position. Good news for Alabama, though. They got some options in that room, Nick. They got Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson, Tyler Buckner. Sounds like he's not as much in that race at this point in time. But, you know, we'll keep an eye on it. You never know. Come October. Things could change quick, fast, in a hurry if you're not happy at quarterback. So if they do have problems at quarterback, I do not expect Nick Saban to just sit on his hands and say, oh, well, we'll figure it out. I think they're going to make some moves. So a good question. Don't want to be one-dimensional at any point, but definitely not in Tuscaloosa. All righty. Um, Sean asked, J.D., 
What's your favorite potential playoff matchup that you would love to see in the postseason? Uh, Sean said that theirs would be OSU versus Texas, which is Kyle McCord versus Quinn. Oh, man. That would have some juice. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. That would have some juice. I would, well, I would love to see that. Really quickly, if you could like the video, we're almost to 100 likes. Thank you so much. Thumbs up button. We appreciate you in advance. A couple of matchups come to mind. That's one of them that I didn't even think about. If you get Queen Ewers versus his old team in Ohio State, be nice. Be real nice. I'm going to see you that and raise you USC Oklahoma. These two fan bases, since Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma, there has been absolutely zero love lost. To make matters more intense, Caleb Williams is the quarterback at USC that was previously at Oklahoma. So this would be a game of passion, a game of, I mean, I think it's fair to call it a rivalry at this point. It's, it's one of the most intense college football rivalries between teams that don't play. I would love to see that one. I think that's the one that I would really love to, to see, I mean, USC and Oklahoma. Uh, now, Oklahoma has to hold up there into the deal there to get to the college football playoff. I'm not, I'm not predicting it, but the storylines around that game, Nick, would be nothing short of unbelievable. USC's got to handle business too, but I think if we could get Oklahoma, USC, that would be tremendous. That's what came to mind for me too, JD, because I, I was kind of excluding be? like playoff or like you'd, or games you already see in the regular season or right. interconference games. That would be so funny because, man, these comments with the USC fans and the Oklahoma fans almost every show are pretty exciting. USDA-approved sirloin yeah. beef. Real beef. Real, real beef. That's <laughs> yeah, a great question. It is though. real beef. Um, JD, I know you don't like talking about the rankings, but Aim Up College Football <laughs> said, what would Florida State's ranking be after September, JD? I think they have a chance to be top five. I, think, I mean, I think right now we, we, we had them in the top five. I would be lying to you if I told you where they are on the AP poll. I know they're, they're all over the place. Um, I think if they were to handle business after September, that means that they beat LSU and they beat Clemson at Clemson. Um, I mean, those two wins, you would have to imagine put them somewhere within that top four even when it comes to the college football playoff race. So I think top four is probably what I would say. I said top five. I'm going to go ahead and raise it to top four. Those would be two very big-time wins for them. And, uh, I mean, I, I'm not even going to say they couldn't be top three. I mean, that, that would be a very impressive resume to that point in the year. Those are going to be the two toughest games on Florida State's schedule. So I think those, those are probably the, uh, the ones to circle if you're a Florida State fan. But, yeah, top four is probably where I'd have them at, Nick. Okay, man. How many questions we got time for? What do you what think? Do you think? What, what are we at? Let's, let's do one, maybe two more. Okay, two more. Um, I'm going to start with Kyle. Hashtag AskJD. Do you see OU having two 1,000-yard rushers this season? Man, I don't. They Now, don't get it twisted. They have two running backs that if they were to be given the bulk of the carries, could definitely do it on their own. I just don't know that they are going to run the ball enough to have a thousand yards because it is so difficult to get the carries to have a thousand yards um i think they'll have two guys that probably go over 500 600 yards if not more than that but a thousand is just such a difficult milestone to eclipse and when i say i don't think they'll run the football enough i don't mean that oklahoma is not going to make it a priority to run the football i mean they're going to run the football a lot and probably go quick they're a run first team but at the same time they don't want to just pound the rock pound the rock pound the rock they want to pound the rock pound the rock and then explosive play strike up the band touchdown andrew anthony drake stoops to farouk one of those receivers being able to kind of pop the top so they want to run the football but two 1000 yard rushers to me feels just just a touch rich nick um, i'm gonna just i'm gonna do this nick a few more likes be over 100 yeah, we gotta get i appreciate there. you for that thank you so much we got one more question now so this is kind of the fourth quarter here y'all this is the two minute drive gotta get there i know this is a shameless plug, mm -hmm. but we appreciate y'all being a part of this. So thank you in advance. Well, JD, uh, we do have two questions that I didn't get to. Okay. Um, I that can I kind of ask them together. They're both Vol fans, both asking about Texas, uh, Rocky Top Tom and D Taylor, who are always in here. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of get to both of them in this question. So Rocky Top Tom asks if neither Texas nor OU wins the Big Twelve on their way out the door, what's their future as a part of the SEC? Um. And then D. Taylor says, if Texas goes 9-3 or worse, do you fire Sark? Also says, who gets the job and why is the correct answer? McGuire from Texas Tech. So um, I know I kind of laid a lot on your no, plate No, that's there, good. But... I'll start with the second part of that. Yeah. I don't think you fire Sark at 9-3. and three. 
I just have a very difficult time believing that because that would be improvement. They hadn't won eight games, I think, since 2018. Mm -hmm. And then they go and win eight games last year. And I mean, I I would be very, very shocked. I might be off on that stat, so I apologize if I'm wrong on that stat. But basically, they hadn't been in the the realm they're in right now, competing for what they hope to compete to right now in a minute. And I think Sark is building it, right? Um, If he were to get fired... It'd be a job that a lot of people want. I mean, Joey McGuire, you know how we feel about him Him about him here, Nick. I mean, I think he is... Rising star feels like the wrong word, but I think he is one of the best program builders, program builders, rather, in all of college football. If neither of those schools win the SEC or win the Big 12 in their final year in the conference, I don't know that I get overly concerned about that. Now, I think how they look matters. I think trajectory matters. But if Texas wins nine games and they don't win the S- and they don't win the Big 12 headed to the SEC, it's not ideal. But even if they do win the SEC, even if Oklahoma and Texas both you know, compete for the conference title and Oklahoma has one loss, Texas has no losses, and we end up you know, seeing that game in Jerry World, we're still going to have the same questions about them. People are still going to say, well, can they win in the SEC? That's great they did in the Big 12, but the SEC, a whole different ballgame. So I think it's a little bit like borrowing trouble should you think that you know this year is going to solve all the problems of next year. It's probably going to be a new quarterback for Texas if they play their cards right this coming season after next season. So let's not worry about that. Let's enjoy this year. Let's handle business. Let's see where things stand next year if we're Oklahoma and Texas. But again, appreciate y'all being tuned in live. Over 100 likes. Never had a never had a doubt. Nick, appreciate you, man. We'll uh, we'll do it again tomorrow. Dude, we are gonna tear it up on a Wednesday. It's gonna be great. Yeah, it's gonna be great. I'll I can't wait. Appreciate you, big dog. Big kickball game for Nick tomorrow night. So we'll unpack that actually tomorrow morning. We'll get a good uh, good pregame interview in with him again. Thank you all for the 100 likes. Big time by y'all showing up, showing out as you always do. Never had a worry. Never had a concern. But we, again, we appreciate y'all for being a part of this. We appreciate y'all making this show what it is. And I don't say that lightly. Y'all are the reason why we get to have a show like this. The the audience and the community that y'all have allowed us to cultivate, we are very, very grateful for. And just an absolute blast to get in here and talk some ball with y'all, man. 11 days from week zero of the college football season. The beautiful part, we're going to see y'all tomorrow morning live in living color, 11 a.m. Eastern on this very YouTube channel. I'm J.D. Pacal. We appreciate y'all. We love y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time.